Welcome to Out of the Woods, the Threat Hunting Podcast. Hey everyone, we're here at the Information Security Summit in Cleveland, Ohio, and I want to welcome you to another edition of the Out of the Woods Threat Hunting Podcast. This is Scott Poley, your host, and today is a special edition where we're going to have an in-depth conversation with our guest, Sam Paredes. That's right. Perfect. Um, so Sam, something that I like to kind of introduce the guests um, to our audience is have them walk through what they do currently and how they kind of got there or some key milestones in their journey to what landed them where they're at. Yes, definitely. So right now, I'm the founder and security researcher for Bucknote. At Bucknote, we do application security research, mainly directed for fintech companies. We also do education manufacturing. So if your business relies in a day-to-day basis on applications, whether do user payroll, communi- communicate to customers mm-hmm. on the business, we're the ones who do the offensive security for your applications. Oh, very cool. So then what got you to that role specifically or that this idea? Among all things in security, I would say my heart belongs to web. Okay. Uh, and I have been obsessed with web security since I've been 16 years old. Okay. So back when I was 16, some of the best things that I could have spent my time on was doing CTFs. And all the CTFs that I did were always web-based. And something that I loved about it is... There is no limit for how creative you can be. Right. There is not that checklist on what you can achieve. It's up to your skill and your imagination what you can do in an mm-hmm. attack surface. On you can place yourself thinking like a, an attacker, thinking like something who wants to do harm and find the best vulnerabilities you can ever get. So at 18, I graduated from high school. I got my OSCP and I decided to do book bounty. Okay. So... Are you familiar with bounty yes. hunting? Yeah. I started doing it at CNET Red Team on most of these engagements that we had. These assets, all of them, they were web applications. Mm-hmm. And they already went through a pen test or a Red Team engagement. On trying to make a living as a bounty hunter, it's complex because, first of all, you have to find a security vulnerability that is either high or critical enough for the company to care. Right. And the other thing you have to be the first one finding it. If you were second, you used to not get paid. Yeah. So it's high risk, high reward on, there is not such a best feeling as of finding a security vulnerability, seeing its impact, you just get such a rush of adrenaline, mm-hmm. you get your dopamine height up, you just jump, you're so excited that you found that and you reported it. On I did that for three years doing book bounty. That's the way how I did my whole career okay. on CNAC. I managed to participate in three different live hacking events that we did. I achieved the highest level in the company, which is level five. Okay, uh, cool. reported over 300 vulnerabilities in Fortune 500 companies. I also got the hero, the recognition for the top best researchers in the platform. And the other recognition that is called 15 for 15 for the top 15 global researchers on the platform as well. On After doing web for so long and seeing that companies, they have most of their web assets exposed to the public, right. and mainly seeing threat actors constantly trying to find vulnerabilities in there. If you think about 
on Pythia or a different kind of malware on ransomware resources, some of their main attack vectors has been web applications from the very beginning mm -hmm. on specifically application security is a niche of its own. There's something that you just cannot get enough. You can be very good at finding one specific vulnerability, either it's SQL injections, either it's really weird cases of cross-site security with very big impact or broken access controls. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking to myself, if I can make an impact in the industry, specifically specializing in web application security, I would like to do it. Yeah, and it's, a, it's definitely a big front because I feel like web applications are like the front to everything, right? Yes. That, that, you know, anyone as a customer would see from a company and even some internal assets and how people run the company with their folks, employees and things. So um, it's a very interesting space. So something I've been kind of curious about when it comes to the vulnerabilities, I like when you're talking about the bug bounty stuff and you said that, you know, most people only seem to care about the criticals or the highs, right? Those are the ones that paid out. But your experience with web application security and some competitions where people need to break into things, they don't really leverage the highs or the criticals. So with your process of discovering vulnerabilities or trying to mitigate vulnerabilities, um, how do you handle the mediums and lows that you might find as far as application vulnerabilities? You have to be able to find a way that you may be able to escalate the impact and you can actually chain it. So let's say if you, if you find a cross-site scripting in a blank page that mm -hmm. you ended up not having any kind of input validation at all. In the eyes of a security analyst, you may see that as a low vulnerability, but you have to evaluate the overall controls in that web application, which means do you have access to the cookies? Even though it's a blank page, you may right. still be able to get access to the main cookie that allows you to authenticate. Or are you able to put that specifically cross the scripting in an iframe and even impact other kind of websites or achieve different kind of things? So that's something very important of doing first, which is understanding what is the purpose of the website, okay. what is the main functionality, and how it communicates to these users. So if you find a low security vulnerability, you want to make sure how you can actually link that with one of the main functionalities to make it more impactful. All right, very cool. That's a great explanation. So with Bugnode, is it more, do you have... Is it more of a service or do you have tools specifically that you developed that runs to help you do the app, the validation for the web application testing? It's both. Okay. So we have the service, which is application testing. We do not run scanners. We okay. like to do manually. Uh, we like to understand first the structure and the functionalities of your web app. Even though you may not see the needs or you may give us a perspective as a company or as a developer, our main job is to give you the perspective as an attacker, what a threat actor, what a malicious guy would do. Mm -hmm. And we like to go functionality per functionality. So one example, usually in fintech, they may have payment processors. So I'm Samuel, can I send you money, but still my balance remain the same? Can I send you money, right, but yeah. using somebody else's balance? If you have an invoice system, can I get somebody else's invoice system? If I'm working with an insurance company, can I get access to my policy? Can I get access to yours? Can I cancel your policy or modify it? So those are the kind of things that we like to focus that has the higher impact. And I don't think they're usually tradable with the scanners. Those are things that you think logically as human, thinking maliciously. Yeah. It's good to run the scanners in the basis of finding common vulnerabilities in common technologies, but it comes when understanding the functionality from start to finish. The human touch that you can put it. Very good, because you may find vulnerabilities that you did not think about finding it. There are developers that they do a really good job of implementing security 
But when it is about functionalities, sometimes they fail thinking as an attacker. Mm -hmm. So you need to bring somebody who's able to think maliciously right. to exploit that kind of thing. And if it's about tools, right now we're working on a, a specific crawler. We do attack surface discovery and the way how it works. We spend every single day crawling websites. And if we find an attack vector, we get a notification to, as soon as we get that attack vector, we want to investigate it to see if it's true or if it is false. And the way how it works, let's say if you're using React.js as the front end and you have a whole main.js file in the web server, we want to see if we may be able to find API paths or different kind of paths that they were not supposed to be disclosed in those right. JavaScript files. As soon as we find it, we get a notification and we want to make sure that either they have good broken access controls, meaning that unauthenticated users may not be able to access it. And just making sure, even though it's disclosed, it's properly protected, you require authentication. And if you're a low-level user, and that pad is specifically for a high-level user, you're not supposed to access it. As also, if you have an API key that has been disclosed, maybe mistakenly, in one of the comments for JavaScript, yeah, where the ones validating it, that first of all, the API key is valid, and we know how to use it. Just making sure that we attack first before the bad guys do. So one of the things I like that you talked about, um, you talked about thinking like the attacker and you're not relying just on all these scanning tools, which is kind of like the first step of someone trying to validate a web application, right? Is what, what are blatantly exposed or, or exposed. Um, but you, like you said, attackers, you know, they also think about the process. Like what is the purpose? What is the function? You know, how do I take advantage of that versus just some blatant thing that I can hopefully throw an exploit and get a payload somewhere? It's not the same same idea. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, from your experience doing this for so long, you know, beforehand and currently with uh, bug node is you see some of the same common mistakes, like one that really stands out the most when it comes to web application vulnerabilities. Yes. On um, you should rely on broken authentication flaws and bug node. We find mostly broken authentication flaws because Nowadays, with newer frameworks, these frameworks already come implemented with input validation. Yep. So if you want to find injection vulnerabilities, it is more complex. But for broken authentication, they need to have, from a developer's standpoint, a manual implementation where we, we are able to find more vulnerabilities. And it is the type of thing that, let's say, Jimmy, who's the low-level user, wants to get access to Bob's console administrator. You may be able to just hit admin-users and you may get into the admin dashboard, which has not been properly authenticated, right. which means that if you do not use it from your user dashboard, it does not mean that it does not exist. Right, absolutely. Um, so one of the things I was also thinking about, you know, when you're finding these vulnerabilities or working with customers, um, what, what does the handoff look like? Do you guys offer or help with the solution to fix the problems as well? What kind of guidance do you, are you able to provide to, to help resolve some of those things? Yes. The first guidance, we like to provide a mitigation strategy for the developers and just make them understand, depending on what kind of backend and frontend they're using, what kind of things that they can use. So, for example, if we're handling a website with .php that it has a broken access control that that for example, whenever you access a resource, you're supposed to be redirected, but the resource is just displaying the response and just doing that redirect through a meta tag, ah. which is a client-side redirection. Yeah. We recommend to terminate the redirection properly using the dive function from PHP and work with the developer one-to-one -one offering screenshots and offering as much as we can 
So we made sure that the vulnerability has a patch, but most importantly, we retest it back again, making sure there is not a bypass. So for different issues, you may see regressions where a vulnerability was patched, they do implement security, but you're able to bypass it over and over and over again. So we want to make sure that we retest that vulnerability and work one-to-one -one with the developer to make sure that that vulnerability does not happen again. So from your perspective, also, when you're looking at evaluating web applications, um, what would be a, a really good frequency or cadence to be reevaluating? Because um, I know, you know some people might think web applications don't change enough to where if they were able to get an assessment, maybe fix some issues, that they're going to be good until they're going to maybe add new functionalities. Um, what's your perspective when it comes to that or how you would reassess when you should, what kind of cadence does that kind of look like from your perspective? I think it depends on the industry. In the case of newer fintech platforms, meant for investment, banking, and for people who manage debt and provide loans, they're constantly implementing new functionalities mm -hmm. and they're constantly developing new products. And if they had that functionality before, they may implement something else or they may modify a part of the code base. Uh, we usually recommend have it tested every four months, just making sure that things just are keeping a rule and just making sure you have a constant basis doing it. And even though if you're not pushing as many changes in your web application, something that has happened to me personally, I have spent a month, month and a half, one single functionality that from my own perspective, I thought it was vulnerable, but because of lack of knowledge, lack of skill at that moment, or lack of understanding, mm -hmm. I just couldn't exploit it. Right. And there's a moment that you know, you're at 2 a.m. thinking about it and just it's like an aha moment. You think like, that's what I needed to do. Log into the computer, you're able to exploit it. Right. So the fact that at that moment, that vulnerability is not exploitable doesn't mean that it's not a vulnerability. Right. It may take a longer time to understand specifically how it is implemented so you're able to exploit it. So having that continuous testing in your web applications, I believe that it's important to avoid different kinds of data breaches as well. Uh, how do you guys manage or do you touch on, you know, obviously... Patching is a big thing with different versioning of what people are running on their web applications. And I know usually people are really good at discovering those as a, hey, we're just a version behind. There's exploits that exist to do you know, X and Y. Um, do you guys come across that as well as part of your assessment or do you kind of stay away from the versioning stuff and focus more on the code implementation? Do you mean exploiting vulnerable versions? Yes. Like if they're behind, you know, so much and there's already exploits, do you, do you, do you spend much time with that at all? Or do you just basically say, we know that you're running in a, a, you know, a vulnerable version of X, you know, you should probably, you know, remediate that versus, Hey, the way you implemented X is not the best implementation. Uh, we still find old technologies being implemented on in different cases, even though they're old, they, they have done a good job at patching them, even okay. though they're old technologies, they're still running and they run well. We may find very old versions of Windows servers running, like an IIS, Windows 8 servers running mm -hmm. a web application. And some of the common vulnerabilities like IIS tilde, which allows you to find the first five letters of a hidden file and the extension. Okay, I, I have seen people effectively patching it on. I feel pretty proud and also very excited to see companies that even though they know that they have been having this old web app for such a long time, it's working well. They may not want to spend like a larger budget renewing it, but they're still doing a really good vulnerability management. They do good patching, good retesting. It's very nice to see that. And when we're working with clients, if it's an old technology and we want to let them know that it's exploitable, 
they know that they're running something old, okay. but we like to provide a proof of concept. Got it. Always we try to see, first of all, the impact. We may be able to find something, but we want to let them know why it matters. This is running an old technology. We're able to get remote code execution, a caching configuration from a web server. But we always focus on the proof of concept and you're showing it to the security analyst. This is what happened and this is why it matters. And this is what should be taken care of as well. So when you're looking at companies too and you're doing assessments, do they put a lot of strong guardrails as far as how you might impact a web application as far as what you're allowed to do and look at? Or do they ever force you to only work on like a dev environment that's supposed to mirror prod? Like how, how does that work from your experience working with companies and when you're assessing things? It really depends on how comfortable it is the client. Usually if these uh, production environment and they already have it out in the public and people are logging in, something that we like to do, we like to be very careful with the amount of traffic that we are sending to the web application. Mm-hmm. If you're running an investment banking application, you just cannot afford having your web app down for two, three, four hours. So we try to be as stealth and careful as we can to test those kind of scenarios where they need a pen test, they want to have their, their users safe. We try to be as stealth and careful as we can. If we may find, let's say, a remote code execution flaw that may be dangerous to exploit, we rather communicate first with the customer right. before actually taking action, see how comfortable they feel, and if they're able to reproduce that environment in a development environment so we are able to exploit it safely, we always ask for that. We do not like to take actions that may bring harm to the organization. On, I feel pretty happy that mainly FinTech, they do like to do authenticated testing. They do, like even they give you a administrator account, they give mm-hmm. you a user account, and also they give you funds. So you're able to test the payment processing that oh, they have. It's very cool. On, it's very exciting to see that companies, they feel comfortable and they trust you enough to give you enough resources so you're able to have a bunch of testing and a bunch of testing ideas and enough time, either like from two weeks to four months, just to get as much vulnerabilities as you can from that web application. So I have seen people complying with it. Mm-hmm. There are clients that they just want to get a perspective from an unauthenticated attacker, which is respectable as well. But what we prefer and what we recommend is having both perspectives. Either yeah, if one agree. of your employees get bridge, we get credentials, we want to see your web application. That's also what we can get as an authenticated user. Yeah, it's something that I think it's a great point you bring up because I know, you know, companies pay for these services, right? And for them to maximize the time per dollar value that they're paying for, they're able to provide the access you need to do a full job without having to work hard to get there. You know, maybe if there's something really exploitable, you might get the access you need right off the bat and then it works really well and it looks really good from your perspective as far as your assessment. But if they kind of hamstring you, yeah, I feel like that definitely, they're hurting themselves in some aspects, in my opinion. So that's really cool. You've had engagements where they'll actually give you some of that freedom and liberty. Are there any really exciting stories for some things that um, you guys have discovered that was a really creative approach for how you actually you know, took advantage of a web application um, that, it, that you thought was pretty novel from your experience? Uh, I would say I have a few. Um, it always makes you see that there is no such thing as ending okay. cybersecurity risk. I believe that you have a way to manage it, but not specifically end it. Right. On um, one of the examples that I usually provide, people may rely on web in WAPs, web application firewalls. Yeah used to have a better vulnerability management while they patch some vulnerabilities. So the vulnerabilities still exist in the web application. 
right. but they use a WAF to mm -hmm. block any potential access. So personally, whenever I see a WAF, either in Perva or Akamai, it makes me feel excited to see in which way I want to bypass it. It's okay. a cat and mouse game. <laughs> You know that there is a vulnerability because when you start testing input validation, there is not. Right. But whenever you try to do like common cross-site scripting or common SQL injection, just you just get blocked. Right. So it's like a challenge. You just get excited and you say like, yeah, let's see how what today's bypass is it's going to be. Yeah. On the first one, uh, it was a fintech company based in Europe. And it was so exciting to see how they had like that WAP was such a pain in the butt. And we were just trying so hard to build the most exotic and obscure payload to be able right. to bypass it and nothing. So we were thinking, okay, the way, of, the way how Imperva works, whenever you visit the website, it's going through Imperva. So it shows up the Imperva IP, which starts with 45. Mm -hmm. So we were thinking, this has to have an original IP. Right. It has to be registered somewhere else. So we checked on DNS records to see in which ASN number that specific domain was registered. Smart view, yeah. And after doing that, we checked every single IP belonging to that specific ASN number. And after gathering, I would say, over 200,000 IPs that they were alive right. and running web servers, we started scraping SSL certificates to see which SSL certificate belonged to the organization that we were hacking. And we got a few hits. That's very cool. So yeah. after getting a few hits from the original servers, we started doing something called a host header or vhost passing. So we wanted to see which IP belongs to which host. And we just found the original IP of that specific web server. And when you find the original IP, you just got to visit the original IP. You have to change the host header to the domain of the web application. Right. You just get full access to the web application without a firewall. So you pretty much sidestep the whole process. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's a very cool approach. Yeah, that's, that's one that it was very exciting. And if I couldn't think of another one, it's, I always love unauthenticated testing because it's, a little bit more challenging. Right. And you got to find ways where you can get access to either an account or to the web application from one single way. So I have one. It was a federal target. On only one single IP was on the scope. On it resolved to many domains. And whenever you just try to access it, just login page, nothing work. You look for that specific domain information on Google, nothing. Mm -hmm. You're trying to look information on DuckDuckGo, nothing. And you're trying to find information even in the Wayback Machine, nothing at all. All in bolts throughout nothing. At dead end, completely yeah. frustrating. So we were thinking, okay, we have a list of all the domains that this specific IP has been registered. We have in check either on Google, DuckDuckGo, the Wayback Machine, or all in bold X, previous disclosed files from those domains. So we went uh -huh. by one, by one by one trying to see what kind of endpoints we can gather from that specific IP. And we found an endpoint that was working for that specific IP that was fetching pictures. Okay. So we saw the picture, the log of the company, and we thought, if we can get this picture, let's see what else we can get. So we started enumerating files inside the server 
and we just ended up with a spreadsheet with all the users and passwords logging for that specific web application. Oh, wow. That's pretty so cool. <laughs> we thought might be, you know, when you log into a web application, you're new, they send you like a temporary password, right. you reset it, and that's fine. That's what we thought. And we were like, let's try it out, one or two of these credentials to see if they're still working. Mm -hmm. We tried the first one, worked. We tried the second one, worked again. <laughs> <laughs> and we started getting worried because, like, those kind of web applications, they really have a big impact, mainly if they have to deal with money sent from one place to the other. Yeah, yeah. And we were thinking, if this information is sold in the public, you can find it on the Wayback Machine. Right. Everybody can resolve an IP and see which domains have been registered to the same IP. Like, I always wonder who else found what we did find. Right, so yeah. That's, is, that, is that something, too, when you find something like that where you know something has been publicly exposed in a fashion like that, how do you communicate that risk back to the company? Or are you able to even, do you look for the constraints on how far back you think you can go that it was exposed? Do you guys research any of that kind of stuff? In different targets, um, I have been able to breach web applications just by tracing back threat actors. Okay. That they already breached that web application. Oh, wow. Okay. So the way how we communicate that type of risk, first we like to communicate which IP or traffic is coming from so they can actually check it out and understand and actually follow up the steps that we did on just making sure, look, we found this. This is the approach that we took. This is how we found it. This is the type of vulnerability. You guys should patch it right away. And just making sure this is our IP, this is all the traffic that we did, even given the whole warp suite project file so they're able to see what we did from our uh, proxy perspective. And you saw them, we did not try to attempt anything else. We just tried to see two of the credentials just to make sure they were valid. Indeed, they were valid. Please fix it. On that specific time, two hours later, they answered. Other two hours later, they patched it. So okay. it was very nice to see some yeah. very quick, quick action. What has happened to me <laughs> in another time, I was an European bank. I found a way to upload malicious files to that, that specific server because mm -hmm. you're able to change, let's say, the files from your team. So let's say if you are the account manager, you can actually upload what files they should see. On something that I was seeing, I was seeing the file uploaded, but at the same time deleted. Okay. So I uploaded the file back again, and it was deleted back again. Uh, when I asked, with somebody deleting the files here, they said, like, no, we, we actually are not doing anything with it. So I started fussing in that specific endpoint, trying to see where my file was being stored. And I made a word list of common malicious file names mm -hmm. and it found a shell that did not belong to us. Oh, okay. Wow. So you weren't the first there. Exactly. <laughs> And you can actually see different kind of CS scripts that they use for privilege escalation as well. So I copy those files, send it to a total random directory, and delete that shell. So they do not have access. Of course, let's say take proper screenshots and mm -hmm. take notes of the files that they operated so they can investigate it later and just upload a different shell with a 16 random string number, mm -hmm. random parameter to get access to the web application and just transferring all those files, you just let them know, these are the files for privilege escalation that we found. Somebody else was already here. There was this odd behavior. Let's fix it. And same thing, six hours later, that vulnerability was patched. So it's, it's very nice to see people taking quick action right. towards it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I have, I have a couple of questions about payloads, right? And that is, you know, I understand that depending if you're going through some sort of filtering front end that you might have to change up your payload to get through or get a payload to drop. But do you consistently, if you if you know you have the right access, do you kind of always test with the same payload just to verify or do you get really complicated with the payloads you use? Not really. Um, I would say you have to understand what kind of, if you're explaining cross-site scripting or let's say SQL injection, you have to understand what words you can use. Okay. So if yeah, you're using cross-site scripting, I would not go straight for the most complex payload because it's not maybe necessary. Mm-hmm. I would go for the most common one. Let's say, see if I can actually use a H1 tag. If I can use a H1 tag and I implement something to execute JavaScript here, this event handler is not accepted. Can I try this other one? And it's little by little just trying okay. to make a payload that matches with the filter of the firewall, just making sure it goes well. But if I could say a common approach, always use the SVG tag because it allows you to execute JavaScript through XML content. Yeah. And it's very fun that you can always execute JavaScript just by using a picture. <laughs> so that, that's, I would say, like the most common way that I usually do it. If it's about SQL injections, it's finding ways to concatenate the same strings. So if you're using, like, let's say, select, using spaces between the words, and use, like, mm-hmm. C plus select yeah. type of thing. So it's, it's fine, like, that workaround. You're playing with the firewall, see what they are accepting mm-hmm. of there or not. So, and then also the other question I was going to have about payloads. Um, and this is just kind of for the sense of, I mean, I'm sure you know a lot about how attackers attack web applications in general just based on being in the field and your experience and things like that. Are there just common directories that usually are exposed in a web application that payloads typically fall into if people were looking or hunting for payloads? Um, from your experience, is it really web application dependent? I think so. Uh, in payment processors mainly. So let's say if you're an e-commerce website mm-hmm. and you have your checkout page just being indexed by Google right. and that checkout page is vulnerable to cross the scripting, you can do a Google Dorf right now and you can actually see okay. specifically for a login in Magento that is vulnerable for cross-site scripting, cross-site scripting payloads being injected that whenever you just put your credit card on, your credit card number is going to the attacker's server and you just get it stolen. So yeah. those kind of places are the most common ones that people usually try to host their payloads as well. If I can think about another one, not specifically for payloads, but more for broken access controls, and that's API docs. So for okay. me, whenever I find an API documentation, it's a gold mine because you just do not need to enumerate, force the whole thing. Yeah. They're just giving it out to you. And you just got to go one by one, seeing how it works, and just seeing if actually you can hit that API endpoint without authentication, and in some cases you can. Yeah. So those are the places that I should look for. It's API documentations and... I do a lot of Google dorking. Some companies, they really do a good job at just communicating with Google, so they mm-hmm. take off those results. But you can find even more or better results in DuckDuckGo. I'm glad you bring that up because I know that's something that, you know, in my early training, they used to talk about it all the time. And then it's kind of like a lost art where people don't use it as much because Google's trying to do better at like how you can use them to do the, those types of techniques. But the fact that you still seem applicable is kind of cool. Um, from an attacker's perspective and someone who understands technology that just because things change doesn't mean you can't use them, right? Um, so that's really cool. So I know we're kind of coming up on time. I want to give you an opportunity. Is there anything else you want to specifically plug or talk about um, to kind of leave our audience with um, based on you know, what you do, your, your, your company, and, and any part of the conversation? 
Whenever you're deploying web applications, just make sure that understand that even though you may have a really nice product, in the simple view, the web application is working well and your users are able to communicate. It's nice to have an understanding that you're seeing that point of view as a business owner. You're seeing that point of view as a startup founder, right. as the developer who just made the best fintech application for investment banking. But try to place yourself and think, if I want to do harm to this company, what I, what I would think what I should do or how they should be implemented. And in different cases, I believe that some issues would be mitigated before they're deployed. People have the chance to think maliciously. No, that's very good advice. Um, well, I really appreciate the time. I hope everyone takes the time to think about some of the things that Sam has talked about. I've actually learned a lot. I'm not a big web application tester or a uh, defense type guy. Um, I just know about it a lot because I've been responsible for too many things. But very fascinating, um, some of the things that you'd said today. So I really appreciate the time. Thanks for, for coming on and for our audience. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. I think it's a, a really good one. So happy hunting. Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.